A reading from Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 5. When Egypt's king was told that the people had run away, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about the people. They said, what have we done letting Israel go free from their slavery to us? So he sent for his chariots and he took his army with him. He took 600 elite chariots and all of Egypt's other chariots with captains on all of them. The Lord made Pharaoh, Egypt's king, stubborn and he chased the Israelites who were leaving confidently. The Egyptians, including all of Pharaoh's horse-drawn chariots, his cavalry, and his army, chased them and caught up with them as they were camped by the sea of Pi-Hithothreth in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites looked back and saw the Egyptians marching towards them. The Israelites were terrified and they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the desert? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt like this? Didn't we tell you the same thing in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us work for the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to work for the Egyptians than to die in the desert. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand your ground and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never, ever see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to get moving. As for you, lift your shepherd's rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and split it in two so that the Israelites can go into the sea on dry ground. But me, I'll make the Egyptians stubborn so that they will go in after them and I'll gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, all of his army, his chariots, and his cavalry. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. God's messenger, who had been in front of Israelites' camp, Israel's camp, sorry, moved and went behind them. The column of cloud moved from the front and took its place behind them. It stood between Egypt's camp and Israel's camp. The cloud remained there, and when darkness fell, it lit up the night. They didn't come near each other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord pushed the sea back by a strong east wind all night, turning the sea into dry land. The waters were split into two. The Israelites walked into the sea on dry ground. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians chased them and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and cavalry. As morning approached, the Lord looked down on the Egyptians' camp from the column of lightning and cloud and threw the Egyptians' camp into panic. The the Lord jammed their chariot wheels so that they couldn't and wouldn't turn easily. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water comes back and covers the Egyptians, their chariots and their cavalry. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. At daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. The Egyptians were driving toward it. And the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the cavalry. Pharaoh's entire army, 
that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. The Israelites, however, walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand and on their left. The Lord rescued Israel from the Egyptians that day. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the amazing power of the Lord against the Egyptians. The people were in awe of the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The word of the Lord. I'm really thankful that you joined us for this teaching. And I wanted to remind you that we are a community that loves like Jesus. And today, my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you. We are continuing our sermon series called The Best Stories Ever, and many of you have tuned in each and every week, and we're continuing that series today with Exodus 14, and really we're going through Exodus 11 through 14, so if you have a Bible or your device, go ahead and open up that now. Just to start, I just want to, just want to say that we know that the heartbeat of any civilization is the spirit of adventure. I know that that's the heartbeat of my family. We love to adventure everywhere, all over the world. But it takes the spirit of adventure to overcome struggle. It takes that spirit to overcome strife. It takes that spirit to overcome our fears and even our lack of faith. And when we are brave enough to journey our way into unknown, uncharted territories, and when we become totally reliant on the forces outside of ourselves, it is then that movement happens. I've been a part of movements where the community of people have surrounded me completely. I've been reliant on a community of people, and miraculous movements happen. God has used people to change my life. And I know that you've experienced the same things. When you're totally reliant on the forces outside of yourself and things begin to happen, that is God and his miraculous movements. Now, I know that life is not without struggle. And some of our lives, and all of our lives, really, we've had a lot of struggle. And 2020 has not been without struggle. It's been with a lot of struggle. And some of us have had a lot of fear. Some of us have had a lot of strife. Some of us have had a lot of pain. And some of us have had a lot of faith. I don't think the Christian message is about setting faith against fear. And in 2020, if you didn't have if you had a lot of fear, that's obvious you didn't have faith or some, some dysfunctional message like that. Because honestly, I think that you can have faith and fear in the Christian human experience. They go hand in hand and faith and fear together produces resilience. And you can go in the direction that God wants you to go. And you can go in the direction that you want to go with both of those kinds of emotions and mental ascent. So several important lessons that I've learned through this 2020 pandemic, and I just want to give those to you as an introduction. First, a a very important lesson that I've learned in 2020 is this. I need to have a radical embrace for personal responsibility. It is my responsibility to engage and initiate in the care and the safety and giving my very best to keep people um, safe and, and following mandates. It is my personal responsibility to engage 
in that behavior. And it's also my personal responsibility to give of myself in personal care, helping people emotionally, overcoming isolation, even maybe overcoming the feeling of rejection right now. I take personal responsibility in engaging and helping people around me and myself in emotional and mental health. I think that that's a huge lesson for all of us to have, and that is a radical embrace that we need to have for personal responsibility, for safety, and also personal care of people around us. But second, I, I do know this, that through this pain, I need to take the opportunity to be a champion of virtue. If I don't, where's my character going to come from, right? I need to have that champion of, of being the, growing in love and growing in, in joy and growing in the virtues that God is calling me to grow in. I need to be a champion of those virtues and growing my life spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. I need to grow in these areas during this time. Even in a time of pain, I need to take that opportunity. But then third, I don't need to plan for the worst. What I need to do is I need to exercise the best faith, the best hope, and the best resilience that I can through the worst. A lot of us have planned for the worst. That's where hoarding comes from. But I just need to exercise. And what God is calling me to do is to exercise faith, hope, and resilience, and love through the worst, that no matter what hits us, I'm exercising these things that God wants me to exercise. Well, I would definitely say that these things relate to the story of Exodus. We have plagues and we have pandemic. Moses being a champion of virtue and exercising a lot of faith and exercising resilience and, and learning to grow spiritually and even physically and in his confidence, truly believing that God can change literally their situation and flip their world upside down. Well, in Exodus 14.10, it says this, and I want to start with this verse. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites looked back and saw the Egyptians marching towards them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They were scared. They were traumatized. They were literally in crisis. They had run they had moved out of their homes and moved out basically into their wilderness, and they knew that the Egyptians were coming after them, and they just felt like they were going to slaughter. Well, I would say that they had been traumatized for a long time, literally 400 years of slavery, beaten, gone without, marginalized people, just literally traumatized for hundreds of years. I want to give I want to use this story to give you some simple steps on how to respond in faith. That's going to come later. But before we do that, I want to, I want to help you understand our usual response to trauma and what that does to us. And so first, as these Israelite people were traumatized, and I've learned a lot from this story, just reading it and rereading it and listening to it and listening to the Bible project that you just listened to, trauma makes me very skeptical. Trauma makes me snide. And in Exodus 14, 11, it says this, they said to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you took us away to, that, that you took us away to die in the desert? 
What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt like this? So basically, they were more than snarky. They, they were skeptical. They had doubt. They began to doubt. Well, I would say that we doubt ourselves a lot of times. When it comes to trauma, we doubt our confidence. We doubt God, and we doubt God confidence. We doubt other people. We don't have confidence in others. We become skeptical. We often ridicule. Um, we ridicule others. We ridicule unfamiliar things. We ridicule unfamiliar practices. <laughs> we make fun of people and, and situations that we, we don't normally hang out with or participate in. Those that struggle with sarcasm and critical spiritedness usually struggle with the self-struggle. So I would say that trauma uh, makes us skeptical. It makes us snide. But also trauma makes us selfish. We think about ourselves, me, myself, and I. I don't think about you. I don't think about anybody else. I'm focused on the pain. I'm focused on the trauma and the hurt, and I'm focused on the, the dysfunction that I've had for so long. So the Israelites said, didn't we tell you before? What have you done to us? We, we, we basically like ask these, these dysfunctional questions like, what have you done? Or why am I in this situation? Or who is to blame? We accuse others. We excuse ourselves. We pass the buck. We blame other people, and usually we run from responsibility. So the Israelite people were, of course, pointing the finger at Moses. Who are we pointing the finger at in our life? Trauma makes us selfish. It makes us skeptical and selfish. And in that selfishness, we struggle owning our worlds. We struggle owning responsibility. We struggle owning what we have issued and the pain that we have issued other people. And so when, when, the, when the stones start flying at me, right, and life is just pointing its finger at me, and I feel buried in a pile, we usually are, you know, looking for the next person to blame or the next person to point the finger at, and we run from the responsibility of what's happening around us. Trauma makes us selfish. But trauma also makes us stubborn. We resist change. We resist anything new many times when it comes to uh, us being in crisis. When we're in crisis mode, we want familiar. And one thing that I've learned about this season is it has been especially difficult for a lot of people because crisis makes us, makes us stubborn. We've had to change a ton. We've, had to, we've needed to be flexible in the midst of this crisis. I can tell you, hashtag pivot, that's, that's the funny, quote, funny thing that's going around right now is the most popular word of 2020 is the word pivot. I would have to say that I have pivoted not only mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually and in business and in church and all the things that I'm involved in, I've had to learn to be very flexible. I've had to learn to pivot over and over. I've had to come up with new ideas and new thoughts, and, and I'm just praying, God, give me a new thought tomorrow because tomorrow is going to be different. Every day, every week, every month has been something 
different during this season. And it's been a hard season. I am not negating the difficulty of this season. I've been right along there with you. Are we flexible or are we stubborn? And we have to ask ourselves, why are we stubborn? Why do we resist change so much? Well, in Exodus 14, 12, it says, didn't we tell you the same thing in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us work for the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to work for the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So basically, they're saying to Moses, don't rock the boat. Don't upset the status quo. We've always done it this way before. Well, I would say that trauma and crisis and a long history of trauma and crisis in our life keeps us from, from growing. It keeps us from growing emotionally. We Trauma and, and crisis in our life keeps us emotionally immature. Trauma will keep us from being emotionally intelligent with our children. Trauma will keep us from being emo- Our parents that are emotionally unintelligent because of trauma have passed something on generationally, emotionally to us that we're passing on to our children because trauma basically affects generation after generation. It keeps families from growing. It keeps our our physical lives from, from growing. We, we deny health practices. We deny exercise practices. We deny all kinds of healthy practices in our life physically because of trauma. Trauma keeps businesses from growing. It keeps churches from, from growing. Many of us have been involved in church traumas and, and And the more trauma we experience in church, it keeps us from growing spiritually. Why? Because we become stubborn. We become galvanized. We become very narrow-minded. And the problem a lot of times is we reduce our our self-awareness. We reduce our self-awareness to the point that we won't even admit that we're struggling and stubborn. We won't admit even when we're wrong. We can go through trauma, enough trauma in our life that I am sorry. I've watched people do that. They've gone through so much trauma in their life that they don't even say sorry. They won't even ask for forgiveness because forgiveness and I'm sorry and the admission of wrong is just not a part of who they are because they don't think they have to because they've gone through so much pain and trauma it's like, what is this? Get over it. Pull yourself up. You know, I mean, so, so the more trauma we go through, of course, we will experience m- more and more emotional immaturity and our minds will begin to close. We will become so narrow-minded and so galvanized in our thinking that we only think one way and it's our way or the, hi- or the highway and trauma makes us stubborn. Just remember that the hardest thing to open is a closed mind. And I believe that God tells us that we need to have grace and forgiveness and peace and flexibility and live life more with an open hand. But also trauma makes us very short-sighted. We only see right what is in front of us. And when the Israelites were confronted with the Red Sea, what do they see? the Red Sea. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. They just saw the sea and thought that they were backed basically in a corner. And God, you backed us into a corner. How could you have done this to us? They wanted to go back to Egypt. 
They wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to return. They wanted to retreat. And they wanted to go back. I, I think that that is a cycle of crazy, that the more trauma that we go through, trauma becomes like our best friend. Trauma becomes like that familiar, cozy place that, that we go to when we step out too far into the unknown and the unfamiliar, we begin to retreat back. It's, it's kind of like the, the battering syndrome, that if I'm used to being battered by life or by people or a person or a situation, I go back to that situation. That's what addiction is about. When we struggle with addiction, we get out there in sobriety and, and, and being dry long enough, and then, and then we go, wait a minute, this is unfamiliar. I need to go back to it. That's why this first step of a 12-step program is, is I am powerless to this addiction because it draws me back to that familiar. The Egyptian, excuse me, the Israelites wanted to go back to the Egyptians, even though it was abusive, even though it was slavery, they were saying it's better to be in slavery than to die in the wilderness. So if that is how we respond to trauma, and it's pretty known that that's how trauma produces emotional intelligence, trauma produces stubbornness, trauma produces um, lots of fear, trauma produces selfishness. If that's the way we respond to trauma, how do we begin to make movement? How do we begin to take steps into the water? We're standing there at our Red Sea. How do we make steps, take steps into the water? Because God's gonna part the water for us. But how do we begin this process? Well, I would say there's, there's just three things I wanna give you. They're very simple. Prepare, declare, and initiate. I'm gonna say it again. Prepare, declare, and initiate. In Proverbs 14, 15, it says, only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. Carefully consider their steps. So I don't want to be declared by God a simpleton. I want to be declared prudent. And so that means that I need to consider what I'm doing. I need to prepare. So this author in this uh, and this proverb basically is saying, where is he going? He, he, he's saying, don't charge basically into battle without a plan. Know where you're going. Have some kind of, of preparation. And I think that's good advice, that we can take seasons of our life and take that entire season. Maybe it's a, an entire summer. It's an entire winter. And we can prepare for our future. So during this time, we have really needed, and I hope that you have taken this time to prepare. We've needed to prepare our health. We needed, we've needed to prepare our mental well-being. We've needed to prepare our spiritual growth. We needed to learn tools of, of mindfulness and do these next steps of preparation to become more resilient, to become more pandemic resistant, I would say, just to become stronger as, as Christian people. We've needed to take this time to prepare. And some people, some of my friends, and including myself, I've taken this season and chosen to prepare. 
And some people and my friends have chosen to prepare during this season to, to really grow, to make some changes, to get healthier, maybe healthier spiritually, making more progress just in, in like financially, getting themselves healthier financially and how they spend their money. Uh, I've had friends just make the decision to uh, school themselves and tool up with their education. I'll have two certifications by the time this pandemic is over. And, I, and I'm kind of proud of that, that I've taken this time to tool up uh, educationally just to prepare myself for, for the future. And I am so glad and so proud of some of my friends that they've encouraged me to grow in these areas, to get some of these tools under my belt. And they've gotten some of these tools under their belt. And I've watched people grow spiritually. I've watched people get really healthy. I've, I've seen some of my friends and acquaintances, you know, take up certain exercise routines, take up yoga, take up running, take up just something completely different that they're totally not used to in their life. They've just engaged and prepared. They've taken this moment to say, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and cry about this. I'm not going to waste this time. If I'm a stay at home, if, I'm, if I've had to change my career, or if I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on unemployment or whatever it is, they've taken this moment to take steps to tool up for their future. Some of my friends haven't done squat. Some of my friends haven't done squat to the point that it's completely sad. They've, they've not taken any steps spiritually. They haven't taken any steps physically, emotionally, career-wise. They haven't educated themselves in any way. They haven't tooled themselves up. And this opportunity is completely lost for them. It's completely lost for them. And lots of excuses are made. I haven't, taken the, haven't had the time. I've been too stressed out. Things are completely overwhelming. And I would have to say that all the people that I mentioned, including the friends that did progress and the friends that didn't progress, we've all been overwhelmed. We all haven't, quote, had the time, and we've all been stressed out. And so whatever camp you're in, I, I don't want those that are preparing to stop preparing, and I, and I want those that haven't prepared much to prepare more and to start preparing. It's never too late to prepare. It's never too late to start growing. It's never too late to say, I'm going to make a decision to change these things about my life. And so in Proverbs 16, 9, it says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So notice that there's two parts in this verse, man's part and God's part. And we should make our plans. That's our part. And counting on God to direct us. So we're standing there at the water. That's our part. We're stepping out into the water. That's our part. We're preparing. We're strong. We're going to tool up. We're going to educate. We're going to grow spiritually. We're going to grow physically. We're going to change our emotional maturity. We're going to increase these things. We're going to get into some counseling. We're going to read some books. We're going to grow in our life. And then God's going to part the waters. That's God's part. Our part is to prepare. It's God's part to part the water and they both go together. God has a part, and you have a part. As you plan, you pray, and God answers those prayers and directs your steps. So I don't think it's unspiritual to plan for the future. I don't think it's unspiritual to prepare for the future. I actually think that there's something unspiritual to live in chaos and unplanned life. It speaks irresponsibility. And I would say this, 
we as Christian people need to plan with flexibility. We need to prepare with flexibility. We need to write things down and come up with a plan and a strategy for our lives and our future with flexibility because we're going to make the plans and God is going to direct our steps. So we prepare, and that's our first step. This is how we're going to move into miraculous movement, but we also need to declare. And I think that it's very important to learn to communicate well. Not only communicate your heart and your emotions and what's going through your mind to the safe people around you, that we communicate well, but it's also important to communicate our direction well. This is where I'm thinking God wants me to go. This is where I want to go. This is what direction God is calling me to go. And not only when you are able to tell people around you the direction where you're going, you're also declaring that to yourself. You're solidifying vision and direction to yourself for self-accountability. Not only do you declare it to other people and they hold you accountable to where you're going, but you declare it to yourself every time you open up your mouth, and that's a self-accountability. So in James 4.15, it says, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. We need to always be willing to declare what the Lord is doing in our lives. But more, it solidifies in our spirit the, the direction that the Lord wants to take us. And the more we learn to communicate well the, the strategy and the directions and the goals we have, I think the more probability we have of actually accomplishing those things because we have a community of God's people around us holding us accountable and cheering us on and helping us accomplish those goals. So the Bible says in James that your tongue is like a rudder on a large ship. And so basically it's small, but it certainly sets a course and direction of our life. So not only does announcing things and announcing our declarations and announcing the direction that I'm stepping out in the water this way, it builds our faith, but it holds us accountable to other people. And we can use that. It garnishes support from our community around us for that movement. When we don't communicate, when we don't tell people basically how we're preparing and what we're doing in our life, that creates isolation. That creates solo mentality. That actually is a rejection of community. And so when we don't communicate what's going on inside of our hearts and our minds and the direction and the goals that we have in our life, Basically, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to prepare, and he wants us to declare. And we have a plurality of people around us helping us with our direction in our life. But you can prepare and you can declare all that you want. But you can also failure to launch, right? And so that's the, initial, that's the initiation, where we need to let go and launch out. Some people call this pulling the trigger. We some, some time in our life need to pull the trigger. You have to let go and launch out um, if you're going to be a person of faith. And you've all heard this saying before, and my friend um, here that's recording me said when I was walking through the sermon, I've never heard that before. So maybe you've never heard this before, but I've heard this a lot, <laughs> that remember that turtles only make progress when they stick their necks out. 
So maybe that's an old adage. And I just heard that from my grandpa once and, and he's dead and gone now. And so maybe that's just too old for us to remember. But remember that turtles only make progress when they stick their necks out. And that is so true. We do need to stick our necks out in courage and in risk. Now, let me be very careful. I want to be very careful that we are in the preparation and the declaration stage. We're in this pandemic, and now is the time to prepare, and now is the time to declare, and there will be a time to step out fully in those waters and take the risks that we need to take. I'm not telling you that, well, Kevin told me that I need to step out and risk and, and just go out in the world and not care about a pandemic. That's not what I'm saying. There, that's failure to launch right there. We are in the preparation mode, we are in the declaration mode, and pretty soon we're going to be in the initiation mode. And just like at the end of a war, we need to rush the hill, we're going to rush that hill and we're going to have victory. We're going to have victory over this pandemic, we're going to have victory over this season, and we are going to launch. And my prayer is that in that moment, that when we finally are released to just to, just, to roam and to explore and to adventure again, that you would have prepared, that where there would have been a season of, of just climbing and growth and learning to, learning to grow in the areas that you need to learn to grow in. And so failure to launch is not where we need to be. So it's, it's true about, about uh, human beings that, that we need we need to adventure and we need to stick our necks out for, for risk. That is how we many times grow. Have you ever watched a, tra a circus trapeze artist? When I was a kid, I used to go to Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey uh, Circus. And it was a fun show. I know that there's like animal rights issues and stuff when it came to the circus and human rights issues. Uh, so, so I honor that and I'm, I'm sad about that in in light of what I'm going to tell you, because I was certainly at a kid entertained by the trapeze artists. And they were hundreds of feet in the air, and they would swing from one bar to the next and do flips and turns and grab onto each other's like feet and their hands as they hung upside down. And I always imagined myself what it would be like to be a trapeze artist. There's a point in the trapeze act that the person is suspended literally 100 feet above the ground, holding on to, to thin air for a, a split second. So for the moment, they have to let go of one bar, and before they're actually able to grab hold of the other bar, they're sailing through the air, um, literally 100 feet in the air, holding on to absolutely nothing. So I think that that's a parable of what it means to initiate with faith, that many times God will work in our lives and you have to let go of the past before you can grab on to the future. See, many people, including myself, have struggled with this, partly because we've gone through so much trauma that we haven't progressed spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, and it's difficult to let go of trauma and things of the past. So you actually have to let go of what you think and start grabbing toward what God says. There's a difference with many times what I think and what God says. And I need to let go of what I think. 
I need to let go of my hardened opinions and my galvanized thoughts and ways and my stubbornness in order to grab hold of what God says is the way to go. So some things add a lot of security in my life, and we have a white-knuckle grip on them. And we have to let go a lot of times of security in order to grab a hold of opportunity. And so I don't mean to just proclaim irresponsibility, but yet we need to stick our necks out and take some risks in our life in order to accomplish the growth that God wants us to accomplish, in order to make the miraculous movement that God is going to part the waters. So the Israelite people were backed in a corner. There, there's mountains on the other side, there's sea in front of them, and the Egyptians, hot pursuit. They're just waiting to be slaughtered. And they have this opportunity to believe, they have the opportunity to have faith, but instead, they're skeptical, they're stubborn, they're short-sighted. They say, we should have stayed in Egypt. Why don't we go back to Egypt? 400 years of slavery, abused, mistreated, killed, starved, no rights, overworked. 400 years, they want to go back to that? And they're standing there at the water and they're looking at their crisis. And it causes them inside to retreat. It causes them to look back saying it was better back there. Even if where we came from is, is terrible, we revert back to what we know. So why do we stay in destructive situations? Why do we put up with self-defeating habits that we know are bad for us? Why do we continue in relationships that are destructive and saying, you know what, we need to get some counseling here. I'm going to step out and confront this issue, and we're going to work on this, and this is how we're going to work on it. Why do we just sit in silence? Why do we, why do we sit in our hang-ups and hold on to, to our habits that are bad for us? Well, the same reason that the Egyptians wanted to go back. They were afraid of freedom. They were afraid of stepping out too far into the unknown because that was maybe just painfully unknown. I know it's painful to go back, but at least it's predictable, right? And many of us have put up with painful situations, painful relationships, painful ideas, and painful abuse years after years after years after years. I did, you have, we all have to a degree. It's painful, but at least it's predictable, well, what if I did change? What would happen to me? I, I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know that unfamiliar place. And what do we do? We stay quiet. What do we do? We enable the people that continue to abuse us that are around us or issue pain to us or issue dysfunction. It's classic codependency. Why do we do it? Because we resist that unfamiliar. We resist it to the point that, that, and I've sat with counselors and I've talked about this in my life. Why don't I change? Why don't I step out? Because it's like neural pathways in my brain just take me right back there because it's just familiar. And to grow and to change sometimes is very, very painful because stepping out in the unknown, I feel like I'm gonna drown. So what is the solution to it? How do we get the courage to go and to launch out in that water? How do we get the courage that we're standing there at our Red Sea and, and we just feel so weak that, we're, that the sea is going to overcome us? Well, Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And I've used that almost like a cliche. You've used it as a cliche. In my, in, I, mean, I mean, personally, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You know, there's two parts to that. There's two parts. That, that God is going to do something, 
and he believes that we have strength. And so we can, we can strengthen ourselves. We have the strength to face conditions. And that means that everything that we're going to face for the rest of 2020 and into 2021, by the power that Christ gives me, I can face it no matter what. And I've understood, I've understood that, and I understand rather, that this year has been very difficult. It has been a, a, a year of heartache. And there hasn't been a lot of relief from the stress of the pandemic. And, and some of us, you're, you're saying to me right now, Kevin, I live in a pandemic for the, in my entire life. And I haven't been able to cross my personal Red Sea. And I feel you there. There's some of my personal Red Seas that I haven't been able to cross either. And I have empathy and you have empathy with me because that's real. Some of us have not been able to cross our Red Sea. And so what is blocking us? What is blocking us from that success that God wants us to have spiritually in our life? Is it some losses that you've been having to endure? Is it something that's been taken from you? Maybe it's, maybe it's the family. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's you're growing up. Maybe it's the lack of opportunity that you felt like you've had. Maybe you've been mistreated and abused in your life, and you're just, you're just swimming in that water, and it's up to your neck, and you don't know what to do, and God, you're crying out to God, and you're saying, God, part my Red Sea. Part my Red Sea. Well, God does say this, and this is really hard to swallow for me, but it's true. Why are you crying out to me, he says. Tell the people to get moving. I think that's an important word because it doesn't just say, get out in the water and drown. No, it doesn't say that because we already feel like we're drowning. It says to get moving. The original language there alludes to like having a strength, having some courage. Well, in order to have courage, I need to prepare. In order to have strength, I need to prepare. In order to have strength, I need to get the help that I need. I need to go to the places and get the people around me that would encourage me, counsel me, help me, grow me, help me, help me to grow, rather, in order to get moving. So, so I don't need, just need to sit there and gripe about my life. I don't need to sit there and cry about my life. I need to start putting things together that would help me to grow and help me to prepare so I can declare and initiate and then God will part my Red Sea. He will part my Red Sea. And this whole application that I, that I can see in this is, is during this year, during this year, some of us have felt up to our neck and the waters have not parted. Well, I can tell you that if you start today, if you would start today, not tomorrow, but right now, that you would begin to prepare for the future. You would say, God, I want to grow spiritually, and you would put some tools in your life. God, I want to grow mentally, but you're going to put some tools in your life. If you would take this moment, can't do anything about the last nine months, but I can do something about the next two, three, four, six, ten years. I can do something about that and begin to plan your steps Begin to plan your life, and God will dir direct your steps. You step out of that crying about it, and you start to walk into the miraculous movement of it. I would say that, that basically the Israelite people, they had to get off their butts. This is like the divine, cosmic, royal kick in the fanny 
is to just get off our butts and stop crying and wallowing in the pain and to step in the movement of growth in our life and God will part the waters. And that's what makes this story the best story ever. And I want to take communion in that light. That this is, this is a, a very connecting message for me that I have spent much of my life crying about things and in pain. And I know that you've spent much of your life the same. And God wants you to send you into freedom. He wants to part those waters for you. And through the blood of Jesus, we know and we see. And I know from scripture, he says, do this in remembrance of me, because in that remembrance and doing this, I'm parting those waters for you. In, in, in his body, he says, I'm parting those waters for you. And he says, just like in those days, just like in those days where God saved all the Israelites through that sea, through that water, he's going to take us to our victory as well. And so let's say thanks be to God by taking communion today. This is his body. This is his blood. Thank you, Lord, that you will have victory in our life. That maybe it's just not right now yet. But you've told us to prepare. You've told us to declare. Help us to get moving. Help us to start growing. Help us to make the plans, Lord, that would grow us spiritually, emotionally, and mentally in our life. And Lord, we're going to leave the parting of those waters to you. Lord, I pray that we would find healing in this message. Lord, that we would find a plan for growth in this message. Thank you for Jesus and the hope that Jesus gives. In his name we pray. Amen.